Talofalava, you're listening to RNZ Pacific Waves from the RNZ Pacific. Wawo, Elisha Foon. Coming up first. There's enormous concern in Wellington, in Canberra, and Washington, Tokyo, and, and further afield about China's interests and ambitions. China is reportedly negotiating security deals with two more Pacific nations. What it looks like is they're delaying the process so that members of parliament who were found guilty won't be unseated. Dong's government defers the sitting of parliament for the second time in eight days. It's action that we need more than the talk. What can we expect from the Cook Islands budget set to release Monday afternoon Cook Islands time? China is reportedly negotiating security deals with two more Pacific nations following a pact with the Solomon Islands to further increase its clout in the region. The Financial Times reports a U.S. intelligence official says Beijing is in talks with Kiribati and at least one more Pacific Island country over an agreement that would cover much of the same ground as that with Honiara. But Kiribati's Foreign Affairs Secretary, Michael Foon, has denied his government is in discussions on a security agreement with any partner. Joining me to talk about this is Senior Lecturer for Defence and Security Studies at Massey University, Dr Anna Poles. Nisa Bolivinaka and welcome back on Pacific Waves. Tell me, what do you know so far about the possible new negotiations? There isn't a great deal in the public domain about... Uh, these supposed uh, talks between China and and Kiribati uh, with respect to a security uh, deal of some kind. Uh, And certainly Kiribati politicians uh, have suggested that there isn't anything um, currently uh, being discussed with China. The uh, Michael Foon, the Foreign Affairs Secretary, uh, rejected these claims that it was discussing security agreements with, with any partner. However, opposition politicians have, have raised concerns, which they have for, for uh, a long time, certainly since Kiribati switched uh, diplomatic recognition from Taiwan uh, to China in 2019. And hot on the heels of the Solomon Islands China security arrangement, which was leaked last uh, in March and uh, and will likely be signed when um, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang visits Honiara in the next week or so. Uh, there has certainly been concerns that Kiribati is essentially the, the, the next uh, cab off the rank, so to speak. Looking at this in a wider picture perspective, we're seeing a lot of Western countries viewing these new deals and possible deals as a threat and concerning why do you think that is, and what is your take on it? Well, there's enormous concern in Wellington, in, in Canberra, and Washington, and uh, Tokyo, and, and further afield uh, about China's interests and ambitions uh, in the Pacific, and that those interests and ambitions are disrupting and undermining regional security in the region and undermining the economic security of Pacific countries. Now, obviously, Pacific countries, it's in their sovereign right to pursue any agreements that they wish to pursue with other countries. Uh, and certainly, uh, Aotearoa and Australia and, and the US and, uh, should certainly not be seeking to, to influence Pacific countries in any way. However, 
there are also concerns within the Pacific as well, amongst Pacific countries, uh, amongst members of the Pacific Islands Forum, that the security agreement which Solomon Islands signed with China and has signed with China uh, has is actually undermining and disruptive to the regional security architecture, given that there are already crisis management mechanisms in place to respond to crises uh, in the Pacific, and I'm specifically referring to the Bikatawa Declaration. In the lead-up to the Pacific Forum, which will be held sometime in June, the dates yet to be confirmed, what do you anticipate in terms of these kind of discussions and, and deals? Do you think this could be the main focus, potentially? Well, certainly, uh, you know, Aotearoa um, Foreign Minister Nanaia Mahuta and Tonga uh, have requested that the security deal be on the agenda for the leaders' meeting in Suva in June. Uh, and they have both, in New Zealand and Australia, publicly called for uh, greater transparency around the deal uh, and that there be a stronger discussion about the importance of the Pacific Island Forum leading responses to crisis management uh, in in the Pacific. Um, now, that's obviously, you know, there's a, there, the Pacific Island Forum has been uh, experiencing some very you know, challenging times over the past year with the, with the withdrawal of the Micronesian members uh, last year, which has since been put on pause. Uh, but that pause ends at the end of June. So the focus of the, forum, the Pacific Island Forum Secretariat and, and, and members is very much on resolving that crisis as well as responding to regional concerns about security arrangements. What should we be looking out for in weeks and possibly months to come regarding China and China's deals with Pacific nations? Well, certainly uh, with the Foreign Minister Wang's visit to the region, uh, and it isn't clear yet um, which countries exactly he will be visiting, but it's assumed uh, we do know that he'll be visiting Fiji and we assume also Honiara to sign the security deal. We think perhaps he may also visit Vanuatu uh, in light of the uh, deal to upgrade the airport on Santu Island. And we also uh, gather that there have been offers to support Papua New Guinea uh, and to provide security assistance in the lead-up to the elections this year in July. And we also believe that China is seeking uh, other arrangements with other countries in the region, uh, such as Kiribati, as you mentioned, and potentially others. So we'll certainly be wanting to keep a watching brief on what other uh, deals and uh, arrangements and agreements emerge, uh, but also keeping in mind that often uh, a great deal of work needs to be undertaken to actually realise these these agreements, and and that is an area where New Zealand and Australia particularly can support their Pacific partners by supporting Pacific states to to effectively cut the best deal possible. Uh, that they're seeking, whether that be economic or otherwise. Thank you for joining us.
Monday's scheduled sitting of the Tonga Parliament was called off last minute. No new date has been given and what is the second deferral of Parliament in a little over a week? It comes as the government needs to present and pass the budget and to also confront the issue of four MPs, including three cabinet ministers losing their seats after being found to have bribed voters in last year's election. Don Wiseman spoke with our correspondent in Tonga, Galafi Moala, who says the government is facing a series of crises. He began by explaining the latest deferment. Well, last week, of course, the, the deferral was because they were still working on the budget. The budget has already been uh, completed. Uh, the deferral for this week is that there was not given a specific reason, but we are assuming that it's because of the request by the members uh, of parliament who were found guilty of bribery, uh, the request to for the stay of uh, judgment until their appeals. Are they waiting for all of the people affected to be getting stays? Is that what's happening? Well, it, it, that's what it appears to be, because as long as they are... Uh, not having a session of parliament, uh, they won't be unseating those members. But if, if they were to have a session of parliament, one of the main items will be to unseat those members. So what it looks like is they're delaying the process so that uh, the members of parliament who were found guilty won't be unseated. We've talked before about the possibility that the government could end up without a quorum. Uh, does this remain a possibility? It still remains a possibility. I, I mean, if you've got three ministers that the prime minister is refusing to do anything about them, even though one of them have already resigned, he says, I'm not going to accept that resignation. On the other hand, you've got another member of cabinet who is in New Zealand and uh, going through uh, medical treatment, and his time is running out uh, before, by law, he can be declared no longer a member of parliament because being away for, for too long. He's been away five months already. So they are facing a, like a, a crisis from many different directions of, of how they can operate and move on with so many members of parliament that is, that is either declared guilty or away on sick leave. And so it's a, almost a, a crisis situation to me. The Cook Islands is set to release its budget Monday afternoon, Cook Islands time. The nation's Tourism Industry Council President, Liana Scott, hopes the cost of living will be a focus. She says people do not want a one-cash injection, instead want long-term support that will make a difference further down the road. Lydia Lewis spoke with her ahead of the budget. There needs to be a little bit of a reality check in all fairness. The government doesn't have a money tree that is sitting there because we've had two years of COVID and they've obviously got some debt. We don't want to be in debt for, you know, a long, unnecessary time where we're getting affected in the long run or our children are getting affected. So we want the economy to be buoyant and bounce back as quickly as possible. That's only going to be possible if the public sector and the private sector start working together, as it has done, and make sure that we're able to maximise whatever revenue opportunities there are, as well as decrease expenses. We've got to think realistically about these things as well, and we understand that the boat that they're in 
um, more simply because they wanted to be there. They made some pretty strategic moves in order to ensure that businesses didn't fall over and shut down. If we had a look back, I think there's very few, if any, business that actually has closed their doors due to COVID. So that's one thing on the positive side of businesses being so resilient here. Where would you expect to see investment by government? I don't know. I would love to think that the investment in capital works um, centred around sanitisation, centred around you know, reducing pollution, uh, looking at waste management. They used to export a lot of plastics and and e-waste out of the country, and that's becoming more and more difficult with world restraints. So we've got to come up with some other solutions to those issues. We're a really small green country, and we need to stay stay that way, and this is why we people coming to us, so we need to make sure we are looking after the environment. So I think with an environmental focus, a sustainable focus, that should be key on the government's list as well as reducing um, expenses wherever they can. Um, There's been a lot of talk about political reform. We've got all these small islands and some of them with a population of about 60 people um, and half of them are in the uh, public sector. But we really need to be asking, is it necessary to have that many people running a population that's so small? So I think we'd like to think that the government starts thinking with the best interests of the country's future at stake rather than just keeping that island running for the purpose of having a vote. Are there any hopes that tape will be cut to aid businesses who are suffering, essentially, in the midst of a worker shortage? It's action that we need more than the talk. You know, they talk about making, uh, removing barriers, as an example, for bringing staff in. And we thought, wow, great, that means no more medical form, maybe, or something like that. But the form still exists and the red tape still exists. So it's, we really need to see some actual Um, work done, not just talk. What can government do to cut costs? It would be great to see some centralisation of certain services. For example, a lot of the different sectors in government have their own accountants, as an example, or their their admin offices. So it would be great to have some centralised services so that um, it's all handled in one department rather than multiple, just in in terms of a cost-cutting arrangement. Little things like even vehicles, we'd like to see a hold on any purchase of new vehicles where it's unnecessary. Now let's talk flights. What do you expect or what could be written into the budget to get travel moving again? Can anything be done in this area? We need to, at the moment, there's only uh, flights from Auckland to Rarotonga and that puts the island in a very precarious situation where um, our main core market is coming from New Zealand and we really need to be tapping into um, other sectors of the world, so we're not dependent on just New Zealand. Where are the uh, talks so underway the, with Australia? Because the last time we did a yeah, RNZ did a story yeah. on this, the, you know, uh-huh. New Zealand, uh, Rarotonga was, or the Cook Islands was opening to the world, but that really yeah. hasn't quite happened yet. Why New Zealand? <laughs> they forgot that part. It's a cause. <laughs> 
It's uh, yeah. So the the talks with Australia is um, it comes down to, from what I understand, uh, lack of um, aircraft and the lack of pilots. Is there any indication that the government is going to support businesses by reintroducing any support, financial support? I know that that a lot of the support was cut um, a month or so ago. Yeah. Is there any indication yeah, that that will be reinstated no. or need for that? There is, there is an indication. The indication is no, there won't be any more support. Um, unless something else was to happen that was drastic. So the island is pretty buoyant at the moment, if I was being honest. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Tofa soifua.